as a sales manager or a sales leader, your customer is your salesperson. So when you're thinking about what the voice of that customer is, it is literally what you just said. It's what I need to show up and be the best me. It's the challenges that I'm experiencing in the field, personal challenges, professional challenges. It's the things that I just don't understand. So I can't really implement them well. And as a sales leader, if you think about the voice of the, the most important voice of the customer is your actual salesperson. That is your customer. That is who you literally have to show up. And like you said, how do you do a discovery call? Would you sit there and just talk the whole time? No, you would listen. You would ask a question and then you listen. Same thing when you're sitting down with the salesperson, right? Like ask a question and listen. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now that was Wesleyan Greer. Wesleyan's the founder of Transformed Sales, as well as host of her own podcast called the Transformed Sales Podcast. And in our conversation today, we're talking about how to humanize sales as well as humanize sales management. So we start by examining the question, are salespeople overtrained and what that means for the development of sellers and the way that they can help themselves win more business. Then we focus on a critical issue for the development of sales leaders, which is learning to pay attention to what's going inside, understanding your own stories and examining your own belief systems and what that means for your own progress as well as developing the people that work for you. So we also got to why you not only have to pay attention to what's inside, but you also have to go talk to your buyers and see what they see, right? So often in sales, we've set up training objectives that are divorced from what our buyers really need from sellers in order to help them make their decisions. So again, all this and much, much more. But before we get to Wesleyan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And let's jump into it with Wesleyan. Wesleyan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, Andy. It's a pleasure to have you here. So for people who don't know about you uh, or aren't familiar with you, tell us what you do. I am a, I always have to start with, I'm a recovering chemist. And <laughs> yeah, I let's get into that. But that's, I've never heard anybody <laughs> describe themselves as a recovering chemist, but yes. Recovering, yes. A recovering chemist that transitioned into the world of sales. And so what we do in our organization is we have a leadership-centric um approach to consulting, coaching, and everything. And so we believe if leadership is not invested and involved, no amount of training, coaching, or consulting that we do is ever going to move the needle. Right. So true. So we'll, we'll jump into that. But, but all right, tell me about the recovering chemist thing first, because again, I've never heard anybody describe it quite that way. So what work were you doing? You started your career as a chemist. What, what was the work you were doing? So as a chemist, I was what they call a failure analysis chemist. And so I would get finished plastic parts that would actually fail at customer sites, fail with the actual end users. Mm -hmm. And I would have to figure out the why. Like, okay, so why did this crack? Why did this break in half? Mm -hmm. Why did this not withstand the heat that it was supposed to? And so I would figure out the why, and then I would recommend the right plastics they should use or whatever modifications need to happen for the end users. So how'd that lead into selling? <laughs> 
I got to a point because I was always asking like, why, why, why? Like, so mm. don't just bring me a little plastic plaque. Bring me the whole part. Like, right. I want to see the whole chest that broke, not just a little piece. And so I realized that I needed a little more human interaction than I was getting in the lab. And so I cast a wide net and I ended up in a position where they were looking for somebody with a technical background that didn't have sales experience, which is pretty unheard of. Who wants somebody with no sales experience? Yeah. So I was like, this is the perfect position for me. And I tell people when I got into sales, I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up because I loved everything about it. But was that position in the same company you're at or you had to leave that company to... I left that company and because I did so many bits and pieces in the lab, I actually worked for a company, the instruments that I used, it was actually one of, that was the company I was working for. So I had the other side of the um, supply chain experience mm -hmm. with actually being a user of those instruments. And so that's what really helped me hone in on, okay, let me step into the customer's world because I was the customer. Let me empathize. Let me understand what they're doing. And so not just selling down their throat, but really understanding what they're going through and their challenges. Well, had you actually been on the buying side of those products? I mean, had you dealt with their salespeople? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did all the things. I had to and deal with salespeople. It was, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so was there something that you saw about their salespeople that when you started work there, you said, yeah, I'm going to do something different or something better than what I experienced? Yeah, I the one thing that I did and I still believe in today is really becoming an expert in um, that clients, what the client is doing, because the salespeople were always just pushing the products down our throats, right? They were always like, just buy this, buy this, buy this. Okay, let's do a quick little demo. And we're going to use shampoo to show you how this half a million dollar piece of equipment works. And they couldn't actually run our samples, right? So really becoming an expert and mm -hmm. understanding the customer's environment, that was right. the one thing. I was like, I don't want to be like those generalist salespeople that don't know anything and can't answer any questions. Right. Interesting. All right. Well, back to a point you'd said before is, I mean, I love your LinkedIn banner on your LinkedIn profile. It's, it's basically saying, look, there's a 20 times greater return in developing your sales managers than in training your salespeople. So tell us what that means for you. So when we work with organizations, we, we have this two-step um, process that we use. So we work with the, the leaders alone, and then we work with the leaders and their teams. And what we found is we've done it all different kind of ways. We've worked with just leaders. We've worked with just their teams. And this magic happens in the middle when we're able to really uplift the manager and then help them to implement those changes into the team. And when we just stick salespeople in a room and train them, we're not teaching the managers how to hold them accountable. We're not teaching the managers how to implement this sales training, this coaching, this program. And so that's why sales training is failing because we're not teaching managers actually how to do all that work after the training ends. So the what we found is by investing in leaderships, by actually saying we want these leaders to grow their organization, we are empowering that one person that can impact the 10, 20, 30 people on their team. 
And we see that there is such a high, huge return on that investment by really investing in that leader's development because nobody teaches you how to be a manager. You just do what you think you should do as being a salesperson. And so that's where, why we have this high turnover and then all these things. But yeah, so that's really what we do differently. Yeah. I mean, I like to pose the question to, and I have to other people on the show that have come on is, is say, well, okay, well let's theoretically assume that for every dollar of we spend on sales training, that 90%, you know, 90 cents is spent on training the salesperson, 10 cents spent on training the managers. What if we flip those proportions? What if we spent 90 cents on every dollar training our sales managers and 10, 10 cents on training the sellers, what do we think would happen? Mm-hmm. It, if we had that mindset, if we shifted the whole paradigm and how we're focusing on investing in our sales organizations, so much money wouldn't be wasted because people are having sales kickoffs and sales trainings every single year and you're teaching the same concepts over and over and over and they're not sticking. And you try a different person, you try a different flavor, it doesn't stick because you're not investing your money in the right way. And when we work with organizations, that's literally how we split it. We probably do maybe 70-30, but like our Mm -hmm. time is spent with the cohort of leaders and then we want them, we want to actually see them in action and we work with them and their teams initially because they don't have the skills they need. But our goal is to eventually just continue to empower the leaders and then they translate all of that to their team. And even when you have a general sales training, one of the challenges is that the sales managers are sitting in the back of the room and they don't really pay attention. (laughs) They're just like, oh, I don't need this. this. I've done this. Right. And so, yeah, that that is those are the big challenges that we have. So you could make the argument that salespeople are basically trained enough. I mean, they are. Going by, what you, yeah, what you said is, yeah. If we're bringing the same people in and we're talking about the same things year after year, which I agree with you, is largely the case. Is I like to draw the comparison and sort of say, well, it's like you know, pouring water into a full cup. It just overflows, right? I mean, you're not getting any benefit from pouring more water in, more water into it. And I think we do have sort of that with with sales. And I think that's, it's to your point is, okay, well, how do we make more effective what we've taught salespeople so far? And it really starts with the leaders. Yes, absolutely. But how, how do we, I mean, there's this huge perception and reality gap, I think, between the amount of time managers spend helping to develop their sellers versus the amount of time sellers (laughs) think they need. Um, How do we close that gap? One of the big things that the sales managers have to understand is what their actual job is. Because a lot of times they don't even really understand what their job is. They think that their job is to be going out there, closing the sales for the salespeople or sitting behind a desk in a closed box and Mm. checking the CRM and beating them over their head with the KPIs. So once that sales manager understands that, Your job is to coach and develop each and every person on your team and the team as a whole and to be the buffer between finance, operations, marketing, everything else, and really be that spokesperson for your sales team. 
first that that's the whole shift that we have to make in the manager's head. And when we make that shift in the manager's head, we have to empower them to tell their leaders, hey, I know that this is important to you, but my team right now, we are struggling with this and I need to build them up before we can accelerate. Right. And so really empowering that manager to have that voice to advocate for themselves up, down and across is really key. And then when you think about the salesperson saying, hey, yes, um, I, I want to do this one on one with my manager. I want to do this. I want to do that. They need to find value in it. If they go and they sit in a one-on-one and you just pull up the CRM and you're just beating them over the head with the CRM and telling them what they're not doing and they're not hitting quota and they're not making enough calls and they're not doing enough demos, they don't want to do that. But if they come out of every single one-on-one and every single meeting with something to make them a little bit better, they'll look forward to that. And it really opens up the lines of communication between the seller and the manager. So one of the skills that seems to be missing in how we enable managers is this idea of how do you how do you have a how do you have these these conversations that are about I call them development conversations how do you have these development conversations with your sellers that have value for them but actually have value for both parties but specifically for the sellers but yeah they're not about your activity so I call this, and I I coined this, <laughs> I call it behavior-based skills development. Okay. We have to focus on the behaviors to drive the change. So for instance, let's say you have a, a KPI that somebody needs to make 50 calls a day, and you notice that they're only making 20 calls a day. So instead of saying, go make more calls, you sit them down and say, so I've noticed you haven't made the number of calls that you need to in a couple of days, uh, help me understand the reason why. And literally being quiet and listening to what they're saying. You're going to hear anxiety. You're going to hear fear. You're going to hear, I've been rejected. This has happened. All of these things. And so for you as a manager, you choose which of those things that they have brought to you that you want to deep dive and discuss. And if they say it's, it's it's really, I mean, no matter how hard I do it, every single time I pick up the phone, I just have this anxiety bubble in my stomach. I just, I can't, I can't get through it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's, how about we do some calls together? How about I sit on the phone with you for the next 30 minutes and we do them together and I give you live feedback. Or have you ever had a negative experience? Yeah, I had this really bad experience where somebody just hung up the phone in my face and started cursing me out. Okay, so let's let's talk through that. That's the exception. That's not the rule. So like getting to the root of the problem. And then once you get to the actual root of the problem, then that person's gonna make 50, 100 calls a day. So fix the behavior to drive the change. And once you do that, that's when we start seeing that accelerated growth for our sellers. The trouble with many sales managers these days, though, is that they they feel their f- priority first and foremost is reporting on the metrics and reporting you know up upwards into the chain, and and they don't feel that they have the ear of the people above them to say, look, yeah, this is important, but shouldn't be first priority. I call that managing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a a key part of what a, a sales manager has to do. They have to manage down, which we've talked about a lot. They have to also manage up. And so when you're within an organization and your leadership is saying, I need you to do all of these things that 
are you feel are unrealistic or that are hard, you're like, okay, great. I can absolutely do all of those things. However, I, I need another person. I don't, there, there aren't enough hours in the day for me to do that. Or I understand that. However, your expectations are unrealistic because one, two, three things, right? And having that fortitude, having that confidence to have that conversation with your manager is really hard. It's hard to push back on the person who literally determines your destiny, but you have to be able to have those conversations with your manager to let them know that, hey, what you're asking is unrealistic. And also you need to be a little bit vulnerable. I was meeting with somebody recently and I was like, okay, so walk me through your day. Oh, I do this, 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 and this. So I'm generally in office about nine, 10 hours a day. I go home and I spend time with the kids for three hours. And then I pick the computer back up at about 8.30, nine o'clock and I work until midnight. And I'm like, and when do you spend time with your wife? And he just Mm. looked at me like, uh, and so what I do is I help people understand what is important in your life and what things do you need to push back on a little bit so you can get some of your time back. And many times what's happening to sales managers is they're spending their time in the wrong areas. So it's not that they're time poor, it's that they're just not spending their time doing the right things. And maybe they don't know how to do those things right. And so they spend so much time trying to understand and figure it out on their own. So yeah, other than coaching their people, what are the top three or four things they should be spending their time on? Um, so coaching your people is absolutely the number one thing mm-hmm. um, that you need to be doing. You also need to be playing an active role in, I call it, you know, different industries. I come from this more outside field sales world. Right. And so I call it ride alongs, right? Sure. Um, in the SaaS world, cool. maybe right. you're listening to calls, right? Yep. But you need to physically be out in the field with your people, right? So living in their world. So um, coaching, being in their world, and you need time to, to think strategically, right? How am I going to strategically grow this business? Is it about having more people? Is it about developing our skill set? Is it about me talking to engineering because we're really having a lot of failures in the fields with this one thing and it's preventing us from growing and selling more things? So having the ability to be a strategic thinker and a visionary is a key part of what that sales manager should be thinking about. Now, an idea I've had that I've talked about before is, is I'm thinking, well, why, why shouldn't we just have a new role in sales? And it's not necessarily new. There's some companies that do this, but it's a coach. Yeah, it's this person's job is purely about behavior change and performance improvement, one-on-ones. Uh, they're not the manager, but they are somebody who's trained in this this idea of how do you have performance improvement could you split that up and you know i think it really depends on the type of the organ the type of organization when we work with leaders sales managers they actually say i have so much time on my hand listening i don't know what i should be doing because there's so many say that they literally tell us that. They literally, after working with us for a few months, they're like, I have so oh, much time on my hand. Got it. After I, I don't know work. what I should be doing. Right. After, after. Yeah, after. Because right. they're just doing so much, so many wrong things. And I think that having that support mechanism within an organization, a lot of companies have internal sales trainers or sales enablement. And a lot of times they're only focused on products, right? And so they're not really giving the, the skills and they're not really coaching and developing. But if there was somebody within an organization that 
actually just focused on developing and coaching and leveling everyone up and they didn't have to run reports or, you know, go to meetings and do all those things that would help be a bridge between the manager and the people. I still Mm -hmm. think the manager has to be involved to a certain extent. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just a different function. The manager's focused on, you know, capacity planning, right? And how do I, how do I, uh, yeah. How do I expand the business aspects of it? Who do I need to hire? How do we hire them? So on. And day-to-day performance-related issues, you've got a coach. Yeah, sort of like professional sports teams. I got, what, NFL team has getting close to 20 assistant coaches now. Um, seems like, I don't know if I want to go with that model with that many, but, I mean, it certainly seems like a model perhaps that, that could have some relevance to sales. Um, now, you've recently written something that said to excel in B2B sales, you must humanize your sales approach. And as you might expect, I agree with you on that. It's just wrote a whole book on that. But what, what does humanize mean to you? So being a human to me is sitting down in front of a prospect and not looking at them like their dollar signs. Or not looking at them like they're just your path to hit quota next yeah, like uh, they're tar- month. Yeah, like they're a target. Right. It's, it's, really, it's really being a human. And what do we do as humans? If I am a human and I go to a restaurant and I sit next to someone I don't know at a restaurant, I say, hey, how are you today? Mm-hmm. And I listen to what they are telling me. And I'm not trying to think about my next question or trying to do a gotcha or saying, okay, now when, when can I have this next meeting? I am literally listening to them. So being a human being is literally being your natural self that you are when you're outside of work and you think you don't have to put on airs and really being, having the ability to empathize and listen actively to whoever is sitting in front of you and not always thinking about what's next. Or what to do next? Or how am I going to close this deal? Or what's that next thing? But focusing on the human being who's across the table from you. So why does that seem to be so hard for so many sellers? So I, mean, I think this is, to me, this is this is sort of the gap that exists between what buyers need from sellers and what sellers are giving to buyers. And I think it becomes more acute and more necessary going forward because this is a basis on which you build trust and credibility, which it's you know, extremely hard to do business with someone with absent those. Is it just that sellers are trained, as you said, sort of think of the buyer as a target or you know, trained purely to think about their process and what they need as opposed to what the buyer needs? Rolling back to the internal resources that companies have, a lot of times mm. they have internal sales training or sales enablement, and they teach these new sellers the product. Nobody's actually teaching people how to sell these days. And so what they're doing is either they're going off their own gumption, their um, boss is telling them, well, this is what worked for me, and this is how I did it, so you mm. do the same thing I did, and that's going to work for you. Or they're just on the internet and they're just like searching. And it like, it really breaks my heart how many programs there are out there for individual sellers to dig into their pocket just to learn how to sell. Like to me, that is just a huge disservice. And I just think that nobody's teaching them what to do. And so they, they just, they don't know what to do. And they also have the pressure from their boss telling them, I need you to hit these numbers. Oh, it's the 
14th of the month, you're behind. Um, so I need you to get out there and I need you to go harder, <laughs> harder, harder. And so they have what I call quota breath and they're just focusing yeah. on hitting that number. Well, but let's go back, take a step back. Cause you said that there's lots of training, but they don't know what to do. So again, where's the disconnect? Cause I, I happen to agree. I, I, <laughs> a few years ago had a client call me up and said, yeah, we just went through a long sales training program with company, I won't name, but a well-known sales training company. It was interesting, but we still don't know how to sell. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Is that what you're experiencing when you talk to your, your clients? Absolutely. I see, um, I a hundred percent believe that sales training doesn't work, uh, because it, it's really hard to just stick people in a room and expect them to, to come out and be like fixed. Right. And well, so it doesn't work because not because of the content, but because of the way it's presented or is it both? The what, uh, I think it's, it's the way. Okay. So I have very mixed emotions on this. Um, so there are a lot of sales training programs out there. There are sales training programs that I myself have gone through and mm -hmm. even become certified in. And sure. it's so much content to give people in the span of eight or 16 hours. It's like, it's, it's information overload. And right. so there's no way, there's no way that somebody can actually take that information and do anything with it. One. And then two, I also think it goes back to that management piece, right? And so that management piece is the piece of the manager doesn't understand how to hold somebody accountable. They don't understand how to actually even implement it. And when we are taking, I, I always try not to use names of programs because there are some programs that I'm yeah. very, very, yeah. very much against because of the way that they teach people to just be in this box. And I want you to be just like this in this little box. And everybody right. has to sell the same way. The same way, right. There's a lot of them like that. I mean, the, as I mentioned in my most recent book, is there's not just one way. In fact, I yeah. would say that there's yeah, 5 million salespeople in the world. There's 5 million ways to sell. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that literally is the disconnect. We are trying to make everyone sell the same way, do the same things. When I'm teaching or facilitating or doing stuff, I'm, I, I always give options. I'm like, you don't have to do it this one way. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you two ways to look at this, two different ways to think about this, to flip this coin. And literally I want, I just care about the results. Like your way to get there, it doesn't matter, but it's like those small bits. Well, yeah, I'm going to give you a little bit. And then I want to see that you have implemented it before we move on. Right. Like that is the way that adult learners learn. Like we don't learn by throwing a whole bunch of information down our throats. Yeah, no one does actually. So I know. yeah, I just recently written about the forgetting curve um, is, yeah, is, is so that's why I'd asked the question before is that the content or the way it's presented? Cause I, I see too few examples in sales. So there are some good examples, but too few good ones that say, yeah, this is how people learn. This is how people retain information. This is how people integrate new information into what they're doing, which to your point is, you know, there's this classic study that's done at MIT about change adoption, which was about, yeah, yeah. People <laughs> make it effective is stop one small thing, integrate it into your process. And when you've mastered it, 
add the next thing. Uh, Literally. But it it runs her against this this notion that you know, we can we can onboard people into a sales role in 90 days and get them full productivity. It's like, no, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah. And it, it goes that goes against everything that a, a sales manager or VP of sales thinks, right? It's like, no, 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 fast. I need everything fast. Like I cannot, you you want to do a six month program? No, that does that's not gonna work. Twelve months, that's how long it's gonna take for them to understand what they're doing. But I'm like, well, you don't re- how much money are you wasting? Because 75 mm-hmm. to 80% of your team does has no clue on what they're doing. And that in that six to 12 months, they still won't have any clue on what they're doing. So a lot of times you have to slow down to speed up. Right. And right now, one of the things that I'm seeing is a lot of companies were tipping into, you know, recessionary mm-hmm. um, territory. However, a lot of companies are still making money. And so they're still making money. And right. so they're not, they're not really peeling back the onion to see like one question I ask is like, oh, okay, great. You guys hit your quota. How many people, how many people made, made that up? So how many people actually hit their numbers? Mm-hmm. And of those people, oh, they were 75% over their quota. Do you not see a problem with somebody being 175% of quota and somebody being at 50% of quota? Do you actually even care about the, the difference in those two individuals and how that one person can leave and take a huge chunk of your business? And so really getting, sales managers, VP of sales, uh, all the way up the chain to understand that if you don't focus on this small um, bite-sized learning, if you don't Mm -hmm. allow people to absorb it, try it, chew on it, and then move on the next thing, you're never going to drive change. I was working with a manager recently and we were talking about what the one-on-one needs to be like with her employee. And she was like, okay, so every week I have my one skill that we're going to work on, the one thing that we're going to go on. I said, yes, you have it planned. However, if they come back and they have not mastered the skill from last week, we need to reteach it Mm -hmm. and we need to retest it. Like literally that is how we have to do it until it sticks and then we move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just have to bring learning in sales, you know, to the sort of modern ages, yeah. which is a challenge. But I mean, it's that's the way we make it uh, more sticky. To your point, and yeah, we're not wasting it. If, if you know, the forgetting curve says what you forget seventy five percent of what you learn you know, within twenty four hours, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of money waste, you know, bring all these people in from, you know, doing their normal jobs, whether they're in person or even online, but they're away from what they're supposed to be doing. You just look at the cost of that. And then you think, gosh, we spent X thousands of dollars to bring someone in to train them and they're forgetting most of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is literally, <laughs> literally, that is What's what happening? happens a, a lot of the time. And you know, and again, I think that the reason why it continues to happen is because uh, leadership keeps trying to fix the the people, the salespeople, and they're not investing their money in the management who they really need to invest in so mm. that they can actually hold them accountable. And um, there was another company that I was working with, and there's this assessment that I use when I'm evaluating teams. And I'm like, yeah, so your managers are all really, really good with technology. Like they're, they scored really high, but the salespeople are like, 
single digits bottom of the barrel. What is going on there? Oh yeah, we're implementing this new CFM and all these new systems and we trained all the managers on how to do it. And I said, and are they training your people? <laughs> Does it seem like it's not flowing down? So it's like sometimes they do it, right? Like, let me get my managers on board, but then it's the transference of knowledge. Like the knowledge has to be transferred and we have to make sure that we're going all the way up and down the organization. Yeah, I was thinking back to a point that you had made earlier is, is, and this is true both on managers and sellers, is they're not really taking the time to, I always feeling sort of this pressure, let me take a step back, I always feeling sort of this pressure to conform, right? As you said, to sell a certain way, sell just like this way, right? Mm-hmm. And not everybody's the same. But I think people go along with it because they haven't taken the time to really sort of say, okay, who am I, right? Mm-hmm. How would I like to sell? Mm-hmm. What do I, based on what I know so far, or even if they've been in the career a little bit longer, is what do I want to do differently that I think will be more effective for me? And, and I think sellers, and you talk about sales leadership as well, they don't take the time to I start and sort of identify what their identity is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't know who they are. They don't know, you know, I'm pulling from Simon Sinek a little bit. They don't understand their why they don't mm-hmm. understand even one of the key things that salespeople don't do is they're not setting goals. They don't know like, yeah, I just want to make a lot of money, but why do you want to make a lot of money? Do you want to buy a house? Do you want to send your kids to college debt free? Do you want to pay off your mom's house? Like, do you want to go on vacation? Do you just want to have money in the bank? Like, what is your motivation? And then even having the sales managers align whatever they're talking about, like, okay, make those 50 calls because remember you need to save a thousand dollars this month so you can be closer to paying your mom's house off. Right? So even really understanding, going back to that human to human element, really helping people understand that like everybody who's in sales, yes, we make money, we make commission, but the money is not what drives us. The It's what the money does. Like, how am I going to use this money? What is going to happen with that? And then take all of this information overload that we have, making sure that we're getting the right information when we need it. Because if you're sticking people in a room and you're going to teach them this amazing prospecting methodology that everybody needs to learn how to prospect better, but if you really dig dig into your data, you guys have more than enough leads, you're not converting. The problem is conversions, right? So it's not a one-size-fits-all. And even within an organization, it's not a one-size-fits-all. But I think that is the challenge, one of the the real challenges for leadership, and you were just sort of addressing it, is, is as I say, the, the role of a leader in sales is really the same role as a seller. Yeah, I think a seller's job, fundamentally, the job of a seller is to listen to your buyers, understand the things that are most important to them in terms of the challenges they face and the outcomes they want to achieve by addressing the challenges, and then help them get that. And that's the same job of a sales leader is to listen to your sellers, understand the things that are truly most important to them in terms of, yeah, the challenge, maybe the challenges they face and the things they're trying to achieve in their life and their career, and then help them get that. 
Absolutely. And if that you think that's your focus as a sales leader, then you will experience greater success because you'll have people who are inspired by you, who trust you, that want to work for you. Uh, you'll be building a team that's more cohesive and coherent. Um, it has nothing to do with the numbers. The numbers will come. You'll hit the numbers if you do these other things. They absolutely will. Many times in sales, a concept that we talk about or people will um, talk about or preach or teach is the voice of the customer, right? And I was thinking about this concept recently, and as a sales manager or a sales leader, your customer is your salesperson. So when you're thinking about what the voice of that customer is, it mm -hmm. is literally what you just said. It's what I need to show up and be the best me. It's the challenges that I'm experiencing in the field, personal challenges, professional challenges. It's the things that I just don't understand. So I can't really implement them well. And as as a sales leader, if you think about the voice of the, the most important voice of the customer is your actual salesperson. That is your customer. That is who yeah. you literally have to show up. And like you said, how do you do a discovery call? Would you sit there and just talk the whole time? No, you would listen. You would ask a question and then you listen. Same thing when you're sitting down with the salesperson, right? Like ask a question and listen. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's funny, the challenge is that it's just having an interview right before you and I spoke, uh, a couple authors, uh, Matt Dixon, Ted McKenna, written this really interesting book called The Jolt Effect. Uh, new perspective on an existing challenge, right? It's like, there's nothing really new in sales. We know what the issues are. We know what the challenges are. We know the weak points are. Uh, sometimes we need new perspectives to help us appreciate them. And... Yeah, I think this is this is one of those areas in terms of what is the role of a sales leader. And yeah, I wrote about in my book, Sell Without Selling Out, is is seller sales leaders have a choice. I mean you or managers have a choice. You can become a sales leader or you can be just a sales boss. Right? Yeah, and and there's a difference between the two. You know, the boss is what you've described, right? It's just somebody that's focused on the numbers and really is focused on themselves because they're focused on the numbers. They're really focused on themselves as opposed to the leader that's trying to build that trust to make sure they really understand the people that work for them and, uh, you know, inspire them to work together. Yeah, I completely agree. You have a decision to make. The power is literally in your hands. Do you want to be the same type of leader that you've had in the past, whether that's a positive or a negative, or do you want to be different? And it is important to be the change you want to see. It is not okay to say, well, my boss never did that. I never got that support. No one ever went out right along with me. No one ever did mm. that with me. And so you're doing the same thing. That's not okay. It's just right. not okay. It's if you've never been developed, if you've never had a good boss develop you and coach you and mentor you, then take time and develop yourself. Invest in your own development. Figure out every, and I like to say every coach needs a coach, right? Mm -hmm. I like to call them, you call them sales leaders or sales bosses. I call them a sales coach. I'm like, you need to be a sales coach. You need to be coaching your people. And so 
Figure out how you can change that paradigm. Figure out how you can be better than the last bad boss that you had, how you can be the leader that people, doesn't matter how much money they get, they don't want to leave because you are so magnetic, right? Like that is the kind of organization, that is the kind of culture you want to drive within the company or within your team. Yeah, and if you're in a management role and you're it's not getting the support, you haven't historically gotten the support you think you need or the development, then leave. Go find this right situation because success, I believe, is as much about the situation you put yourself in, right? whether you're giving yourself the chance to bring the best you to bear. Hey, there are situations you'll get into. doesn't matter how good you are. It's just not going to be a fit for you. Um, find something that's a fit for you. That's part of your responsibility. Absolutely. Don't stay in a bad situation just because you've been there or, you know, the compensation is good. You'll get money anywhere. <laughs> money, money will, will follow you, but. Or, or you think you, you haven't been there long enough or whatever. It's, if it's, if it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And when I get, <laughs> I get lots of messages from people because my, my content is pretty much in your face on LinkedIn and I'm just telling people like it is. Mm -hmm. And I get a, I literally have gotten messages from people that say, Westleen, I did not know that I was in a toxic workplace until I started reading your post and seeing that, oh, my manager shouldn't be doing this. Oh, that's not okay. Oh, I should be getting support on this. And so if you feel like, I mean, like if you're going to sleep and you're just stressed and you're anxious, or if you're trying to improve yourself and your team and your management is telling you, no, that's a waste of money. We're not going to invest in that. Then that that's not the place for you. So find some place that will appreciate what you can bring to the table. Absolutely. All right. We'll end on that. So Wesleyan, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's been a pleasure. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way to do it is on LinkedIn. So I'm just Wesleyan. Perfect. Well, yeah. Is it just, do you have two profiles? No, just Wesleyan. Oh, I thought, just Wesleyan. Okay. I thought, I thought I'd seen Wesleyan the Whisper or something. Um, or is that a website? <laughs> Ooh, that, that's good. That means that no, my branding that. is that's working. Not, yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Connect with Wesleyan on LinkedIn. Just ignore me and everything I was saying. Late on Friday, I'm rambling. So anyway, Wesleyan, thank you very much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Wesleyan Greer, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement, with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>